Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Collider Ladies Night. It's a big episode. It's a bucket list guest on the show. Rosman Pike. I'm so happy to have you. <laughs> That's a lovely welcome. I'm really happy to be here. I mean it. I'm so excited. So the first thing we have to do is play with this dice tower behind me. I have eight random questions listed out. I roll the die three times and whatever three things I roll, that's what we start with at least. Okay. All right, here we go. All right, we're starting with a two. Two is a would you rather question. Would you rather have to fake drive in a scene or fake wake up? Oh, good one. I'd rather... Which would I rather? I'd rather fake wake up, definitely. I fake, fake driving is just, I, I've never managed to make it look good. I think I, ha- I have to be really driving it, driving the car. I feel like I'm more impressed by someone who could make fake waking up look real. So you win. The, the fake yawning can be hard. I, I remember, go, yeah, I remember that never being quite happy with my fake yawn. Fake waking up's all right, but the fake yawn and the way to the bathroom, that was always trickier. How, how do you feel about fake sneezes? I can do that. Oh, okay. Wow, you really can. Yeah. I'm very impressed by that. That's usually one of the hardest things. <laughs> All right. I'm going to give you one more roll here. We got a, a three. Number three is never again. What is something that you did for a role that now makes you say, I am so glad that I did that, but never again? Um, <laughs> sort of a whole list of things that I must not say just flashed across my mind. Um, uh, I mean, probably writhe around in a bed slick with blood. I mean, I, I don't think I need to do that again. I think I'm pleased with how it looks and it's out there and everybody knows about it. And, you know, that's probably like a once in a lifetime thing. It's yes. very understandable. Fair enough. The other one was have a, have a, <laughs> the other one of never again was to have the, um, the plastic bag over my head with the oxygen tank uh, up my nose secretly. But then there being the one take where, 
they asked to do it without the oxygen tank. <laughs> oh, my. Peter Dinklage nearly had a heart attack, I think, knowing that he was my sort of, his his fingers splitting the bag was my kind of access to air. I think he kind of, I think, I think after that, we both thought, okay, never again. Um, yeah, an another very reasonable one right there. <laughs> sorry, sorry, the dice now came up with. Uh, the dice now came up with a number one. And this, this question is specifically for you. It's called After the Pineapple. So I watched your pineapple oh. video. Have you learned any other new tricks since opening that pineapple um. without a knife? That was such a good one, wasn't it? It really I was, was very impressed. Deeply, deeply satisfying. Um, yeah, there is one other, which is about the fact that if you soak an egg in vinegar, in white vinegar, the, the shell of the egg goes creepily soft. Okay, and then this is really cool. This is like a, actually a really good trick. I might be giving everybody a, a, so then you need a bottle, like a kind of milk bottle kind of style and you fill it with sort of up to a certain distance with, with boiling water, you put this soft egg on top, right? And as the water gently cools, the egg gets sucked through the neck of the bottle and it's just quite appealing. And I could do, I, maybe I should do a video to illustrate this. I would love to see that. I, I need to try that one. The latest thing I've been trying is someone on TikTok showed, shows people how to uh, like, crack open an apple just with their bare hands but oh, i that's i can't just strength it. isn't it that's just strength no or is it like the pineapple there's a weak spot like the pineapple. that's i think that's the thing it's more like hand position and just knowing knowing your stuff and how to do it and it's supposed to be possible but i can't yeah there's not the bare-handed thing with the egg but the egg the egg in vinegar overnight is still like wild so mm. to do with the way the calcium carbonate breaks down or something 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 like that I'm definitely giving that a shot. <laughs> All right, let's get into the meat of it now. I'm going right back to the beginning to start. So I was reading that you were first discovered at a, a production of Romeo and Juliet at the National Youth Theater. So I was just wondering, what, what is like being discovered in a situation like that look like? Does someone just come up to you after the performance and say, I wanna help you take the first steps here? No, it, it, it involved, um because we were performing in a, in, a, in a theater in London, a proper theater. And it was, that was one of the kind of great things about being in the National Youth Theater. Um, and I got these three letters at stage door and it was from agents saying that they'd like to represent me. And that was a kind of, I mean, I just didn't know where to start. I didn't, I wasn't expecting it. I didn't know what it really entailed or meant. And, um, so I went for meetings with these three people and it's all kind of way out of your, um, you know, what you can really take in. You just listen, you go to these kind of what seem like gigantic fancy uh, buildings and you meet sort of impressive seeming people and you're super young and um, really out of your depth. And uh, you just kind of, you just kind of have to <laughs> take, a, take a punt really. And, um, you know, someone, someone's vision or someone, what someone says something about it speaks to you. And, uh, and actually my agent, Dallas Smith, I've, it's probably the longest relationship of my life. Oh, I've wow. uh, been with him for 20, 20 something years now, 24 years, 24 years or something like that. Just because I feel like we don't talk about like good actor agent relationships. What, what, what is a quality of his that, that you think really best suits your work and the roles that interest you? I think he knows that I like to keep people guessing. And I think he knows that he's got very good taste. And I think he knows, he understands that I always like to try something I haven't done before. 
Um, and he's also very honest with me about when things aren't good. You know, he's never ever pushed me to do something because it was well paid or because it was, uh, you know, had somebody that somebody thought was fancy in it or, you know, his, his taste has always been um, very supportive. I mean, not to say we didn't make, uh, you know, less good choices, but I think now, especially in sort of recent years, since I've kind of found my stride, I think, um, you know, and an agent has to grow with you too and find out who you are. And you don't even know who the hell you are yourself when you're 22. <laughs> I do know who I am now, but you know, at the beginning you're finding your feet and they're just putting you up for everything. And if you get a job, you're offered it, you tend to say yes to it. I fear I'm ruining my chronological order with this, but what project would you credit with hitting your stride and kind of figuring out what you wanted with? Gone Girl, really. I mean, Gone Girl was the kind of thing that opened up. It was like letting out every single part of being a woman. I was like, I could come home to my partner and say, I just get to do everything with this character. You know, because even if she's not, she isn't that thing, essentially, Amy, she's playing it or she's putting it on or she's doing a show or she's pretending to be something she's not or, you know, the whole, the whole kind of cool girl trope and all the different selves that she's able to project. I, I just, you know, and then obviously where it goes, it's like you get to do everything. And it was like after that, the floodgates opened and I'd kind of fully let out the crazy. And after that, I never had to put the crazy back in the box again. <laughs> it, was, it was kind of out there and, and, and people, it, it, you know, people asked me to, do it again in different ways, you know, many different ways, sometimes just extremity of emotion, sometimes um, physical extremity. Uh, and it's just been more and more fun really since then. And also I had hundreds of hours on camera, which is a huge, you know, because that's what Fincher does with his films. He puts all the budget into time, quite a small crew and the budget of the film goes in number of days. And so I was, probably well definitely more in front of a camera on that film than ever before in my you know in all the cumulative films of my career to that point all right here's a here's a little bit of a convoluted way for me to backtrack how how would you compare the way that gone girl opened the door for you in terms of you know the movie's very successful and then i imagine after what you picture your career being is different because maybe there's more doors open than you realize were even there for you before so how does how that project changed the game compared to going back to Die Another Day and being part of a Bond series. How, how do those two uh, situations compare to one well, another? Well, you know, I'm, I'm a funny one because I think when I have a kind of, a kind of glimpse of, of sort of success like that, I tend to sort of shrink away from it a little bit. So, I mean, right after Gone Girl, I went and had another baby, you know, which was perhaps not, what other people might have done in that position. They might have capitalized on the moment rather than disappear from the scene for a year. Um, and similarly, after Die Another Day, I, I went and did a small play at the Royal Court Theatre in London. Um, and I remember, you know, I, unfortunately, it's not what you should say if you want a big career, but I remember being on the bus, <laughs> going over uh, a bridge in London, going over um, down towards Clapham, and, and thinking after all the kind of flying around first class on the kind of Bond magic carpet, I was on this bus and I thought, no, this is, this is who I am. <laughs> and it was such a kind of, 
key feeling and I thought oh dear that's not that's not what someone with an international film career should be thinking but it was the truth you know going into this rehearsal room in Clapham I thought no this is this is what it's this is who I am and I just had this incredible incredible experience with Bond you know which was I mean it's like you'd literally jump on a magic carpet and you're all over the world and there's hotels and the premieres and the sort of massive thing that is bond i mean it's in exhilarating but i knew it wasn't really me so now i'm just curious was that was that stage production sandwiched between die another day and doom ah yes <laughs> kind of yeah it was it was a play called um hitchcock blonde um oh. and it ran for the royal court and then we transferred into the west end for four months um but but pride and prejudice came before doom Yes. And actually, I got the offer for Doom when I was in a cornfield in the English countryside in a bonnet. And I just thought, I remember thinking, this is so funny. If they could see me right now, there is no way in hell they would be offering me this role in Doom. But I thought it was just so incongruous that I thought, well, I have to do this, don't I? I have to. Um, uh, yeah. And then I was really touched because The Rock, uh, when I did this film, A Private War, the Rock tweeted out to his kind of gazillion fans, uh, you know, I just want to give a shout out to my good bud Rosamund Pike's film. And I was like, I'm still his good bud. That's so nice. <laughs> the uh, private war needs to be talked about even more than it is, though. Anyone out there who has not seen that movie, please oh, watch. Thank you. But Doom, yeah, yeah. Doom came right after, uh, right after Pride and Prejudice. So Jane Bennett into Samantha Grimm. That was a that was a interesting transition really it's but it was in Prague it was my first love affair with Prague Doom I have to ask another question about Doom because I I have a soft spot you're a fan you're a fan I, I am a fan it, it really does genuinely make me happy to like I don't know sit and have a beer and watch Doom really <laughs> like I, great. okay I, I think it needs a little more credit what kind of expectations do you have jumping into a movie like that when when fan expectations are sky high, it could be a potential franchise starter, and then it doesn't really pan out. At what point do your expectations for the quality of the movie that you're making kind of kick in? Uh, well, I think, you know, I feel partly to blame in that respect because I think I failed for just through ignorance and innocence to understand, to fully get a picture of what do meant to fans at that point. I wasn't a gamer. I didn't understand. I should have, like, if I'd, if I knew what I knew now, I would have dived right into all of that and got fully Im immersed in it like I do now. And I just didn't understand. I, I, I was quite, um, I, I feel embarrassed really. I feel embarrassed that I was sort of ignorant of, of what it meant. And I didn't know how to go about finding out, you know, because the internet wasn't the place it is now for the, the kind of fans to speak up. I wouldn't have known where to find them. Um, I do now. In fact, I, I now have many friends who were like massive fans of the game and I just wish I'd known them then. Um, but, you know, now it comes to the wheel of time, which obviously we're gonna, I'm jumping forward and, and I know I shouldn't, but you know, I'm- Perfect segue though. I, I fully, like I fully kind of embraced the fan culture of this book series. And like, I, I've spent hours like finding out what they love and hearing what they have to say. And like, you know, 
seeing what they discuss on the chat rooms and all of that. And, and I just wish I'd known to do that for Doom. So it's a, it's a source of kind of regret for me that I didn't, um, I just didn't know enough about the business to be perfectly honest. I got one more non wheel of time question to squeeze in before we jump to that. So I always love talking about making big decisions on this show, like choosing between two opportunities and correct me if I'm wrong on this, because I don't know if it was accredited on the uh, maybe the Wikipedia page or somewhere where I read it, but I was hearing that you decided to join the cast of Wrath of the Titans. And because of that, you had to drop out of being in consideration for a role in Man of Steel. So can you kind of walk us through what it was like making a decision like that and why Wrath of the Titans was the right move at that time for you? Gosh, that, yeah, that could have been right. I think that could have been right. Yes, certainly not an offer, but maybe in consideration for. Um, I, why did that seem like the right thing? Um, I think I was very interested in, in the way that the director was approaching Wrath of the Titans. He was a guy, a South African guy called Jonathan Liebesman, and he just had this kind of sort of documentary approach to this um, to this big world. And, and I thought he'd teach me stuff. You know, sometimes you pick roles based on what you think you can learn from them. Um, and I thought there were things that I would learn from that, which I did, you know, whether or not anyone knew about it, but he had a kind of, he taught me an awful lot about action, actually. There was an awful lot of Andromeda that I, and I had ambitions for Andromeda that again, you know, never quite, I, I, there were scenes that were cut. You know, I, I was very interested in what made a great general, for instance, and I had researched all these war films and, and read books about great generals in the Second World War and, and sort of wanted to be this person who could go from, you know, declamatory rousing battlefield speeches to individually um, speaking to the men as, as, as individuals. And I love doing that. And I did all of that. And it's not in the movie because we had to kind of get to the monsters quicker. But um, there, there, were, there was, it was a great part, Andromeda. Um, and, and I learned an awful lot of sword skills and all of these things, you never know when they're going to come back. You know, you never know when, and even just kind of, I don't know, you know, imagining things, you know, how to sell stuff that's not in front of you, all of these skills that you don't realize as a young actor you're gonna need, how to believe something terrifying is right in front of you and you can't see it and all that stuff that has to be, has to become a, a skill. Um, you're slightly, you're, you're slightly kind of bringing me back to things that I haven't really watched in that great detail. So, um, but Wrath of the Titans was a really good experience, actually. It was something I'm, I don't regret at all doing. It was, it was I, I learned an awful lot from it. So, yeah. I feel like revisiting all of this, everything that you've mentioned that you've learned kind of does, it, it really truly does apply to Wheel of Time. Yes, indeed, it does. It does, um, you know. Jonathan Liebesman was a was a was a really was a really good director um, for for me in that um, and yeah all all those little things all those little things come come to count they do absolutely I feel I truly I'm not just saying this I truly feel like I can see a lot of what you're explaining now coming to life before my eyes when I watch right. the first three episodes of this show so wheel of time now. I think this is your your first non voice acting lead role in a live action series so. 
is there any reason why you did not do a live action series before? And what was it about Wheel of Time that made it worth the commitment? I didn't want to commit to a live action series before because there were just too many too many things I still had to learn, too many, too many women to play, too many, you know, I've, I've played this whole slew of characters sort of since Amy that just taught me more and more. And I grew a lot as an actress, I think. Um, um, and then, and then I kind of felt that this character called me, I, you know, there's a reason that these things come to you at a certain time. And I felt there was a very strong it was it was like a it was like something it was it was like a voice in my head that thought you have to listen to this you have to you have to do this one um i think it's going to teach you stuff and it was something about the the nature of the channeling this woman who could harness the powers of the universe and and i thought there was a dimension of this character that would uh be a teacher be a guide i mean she is a guide in the show but i thought she could be a guide to me too if that doesn't sound too weird um, Not at all. Uh, so yeah, there was it was that really, um, and I felt you know if, if I if I had done a series ten years ago, think of all the characters I would have missed out on uh, playing, and now I'm ready to give over a few years of my life to Maureen. She's worth it, you know. She's uh, she 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 she's evolving, and I know where she's going because the books are out there, and I. And I admire her, you know, I think you can't play a character for that long unless you admire them. Um, yeah, I admire her zeal and her commitment to a cause and, you know, she's got a cause for which she's prepared to die and that's a pretty fearsome thing. Let's squeeze in one more Wheel of Time question. I wanna know about the, the big action set piece at the end of episode one, which, which truly blew my mind. Big complicated set piece with a whole lot going on. But if yeah. you could isolate one specific component of that that proved to be the most challenging, what would it be? Well, it was what Daniel Henney and I, who uh, Daniel Henney plays Lan, who's Moraine's warder, um, and, and the warder I Sedai relationship is something that is really one of the most intriguing parts of the Wheel of Time. It's this, um, you know, very compelling relationship between a man and a woman, where they are, he's kind of like her guardian, her protector, um, but she has immense power in her own right, and they actually feel what one another feels, and it's a sort of it's it's a relationship that's that's like non-sexual, but deeply intimate and full of trust and loyalty. And we wanted them to be completely badass when they came to fight together. And we wanted this synchronicity um, so that you felt this kind of yin yang cooperation between these two. And that his, his kind of rapid fire sword movements gave her space to, to, to channel the power. And, and so Daniel and I would have to sense each other in space. Um, because often we were turned away from one another. And, and we got there to the point that we could feel each other in space sort of semi-telepathically. And that was, we worked really hard for, for weeks on it and, and choreographed it. And I'm really proud of it. I'm really proud of the balance because Wheel of Time is all about balance and the kind of the ferocity of the sword play versus the sort of stillness of her channeling, which still unleashes you know, untold, <laughs> untold uh, terrors and powers. Um, it was great. It's a sequence I'm proud of. You should be. Great success in that respect. It definitely comes across that way. So we wind down with one more game. I usually play a cast superlative game, but watch as I try to spin this into a wheel of time sort of theme here. So 
I'm going to give you a cast superlative based on the different ajas, and they're all filmmaking related. So, uh, what did you say? A what superlative? A cast superlative. So, I'll give you a description, and you tell me which actor in the Wheel of Time ensemble best suits that description. Okay. All right. Is so there first, a correct answer? Or, or no correct it? answer. It's whatever you think the correct answer is. All right. So Brown is dedicated to history and studying. So which Wheel of Time cast member knows the most about the source material and the lore? <laughs> Yosha, who plays Rand. Big book reader? Is he a big book reader? Yeah. He's a big Wheel of Time reader. He's also okay. reading his second language, which puts us all to shame. All right. So Blue, passionate and focused. Which cast member gives 100% all the time, even when they have no dialogue and they're not even on camera, they're still giving it everything they got. I fear that's me. <laughs> I think that's me. Don't fear it. That's a wonderful quality to have. <laughs> Deep background, still, still giving it all. I think that's, yeah, yeah. All right, so for yellow with healing, I'm gonna go with, all right, this is this is a big one actually. What what's an example of a moment on set when you just weren't feeling something or a moment wasn't coming together, but another cast member was the scene partner that you needed to access something that made it work? Oh, good question. Well, um, I think you know, funnily enough, I think it would be Daniel because uh, we when we were doing these um, battle sequences, often often to give him a break. I mean, his stunt guy, I have to say, his stunt guy barely gets a look in. Uh, because Daniel is so, so proficient, but he does get a look in sometimes when the shot's on me and D Daniel's working, but Daniel understands that I don't feel it the same way when it's not him. Um, because the connection and the jeopardy and all that, I, I don't have the same relationship with the stuntman. So Daniel will, will even at the kind of, when he's kind of exhausted and his body can hardly move a muscle, he'll say, you know, don't worry, Pavel, I've, I've got this one. And he'll come in, you know, off camera and do it for me. So that's, he's my yellow, I guess. All right, I'll throw in one more before they kick me out of here. So Gray advocates for harmony. So I'm going to call this one life of the party. Who is the cast member most likely to get everyone together and have a good time on set? Maddie, who plays Egwene. <laughs> She's so funny. And I hope that Egwene gets to a uh, it gets, gets to express some of her humor and she's just she's 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 very funny uh on text on our whatsapp group she's very funny in person and yeah she she brings everyone together i love it uh, congratulations on the show kind of breaks my heart that i have to let you go i didn't even utter the words i care a lot everyone out there watch that too Rosalind, <laughs> thank you so much for your time today big congrats on wheel of time and your entire filmography uh, thanks it was fun this was really fun 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.